How are you guys doing tonight? Good. Wow. I want you guys to just turn to your neighbor and say, God's powerful. I love joint prayer meeting. I really do. I think that there is a very uh, special anointing um, for this particular gathering. And uh, I just have, um, I'm really excited about the word that I'm going to give you guys tonight that I feel like God put on my heart. Uh, And we're going to really talk about the power of worship, power of worship. And so what I want us to do is I want us to open up to 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 20, and we're going to look at one of the most uh, famous passages in regards to the power of worship. Second Chronicles chapter 20. And we're going to be reading from verses 1 to 23. You know, I just want to say, uh, we had a previous joint prayer meeting where Alan Hood from IHOP came and uh, shared with us. And his message uh, for this group and for everyone that came that night really was just burned on my heart, which is take yourself seriously. And he just continued to affirm us that God is so pleased when we choose to gather here on a Saturday night. Out of the million of thing, million things we could have been doing, out of all the other choices we had, we chose to come here tonight to intercede, to worship God, to seek his face. And it's just something that pleases God's heart so much. And I remember when he said that, man, it just, it just blew me away because I almost forgot like that God's pleased with us, you know, and I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> and, and just to hear those words that how powerful, how serious God takes it when we choose him, when we choose to seek his face, not just as one, but as many gathered. And I just want to start off tonight by just reiterating those words. God is so pleased that tonight you chose to come here. And that tonight you chose to seek his face. That tonight you chose to be an intercessor, a watchman on the wall. Not only to worship and lift God's name on high, but to pray for the very things that are on his heart. And so God is just so blessed. He's so pleased with each and every single one of us. Do you believe it? So we're looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I want us to read um, this whole passage, verse 1 to 23. Uh, and we'll just do some back and forth reading here. Uh, I'll start us off with verse one. If you guys can read verse two and so forth. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites and with them, some of the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And when Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court,
Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And he said, listen, all Judah inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. For the men of Ammon, Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. Amen. I like how you guys read the word. It's like with power, you know, you guys were getting all into it. I like that. That's good. You know, there's power even when we read scripture. Amen. We're not just reading a novel. We're reading the very living words of God. You know, What was going on during this time was King Jehoshaphat was the king of the southern kingdom of Israel, also known as Judah. And what we don't know by just reading this story was right before this, King Jehoshaphat experienced another army, I guess, army battle. You see, he was the son of King Asa, who was a very devout uh, man of God. 
And this king devoted to tearing down the idols, tearing down the worships of, of you know, different gods and, and, and tearing down all the remnants of idolatry. King Asa was a very uh, good man of God. And because of his obedience, Israel and Judah, well, Judah experienced rest. How many of you guys know when we obey the Lord, when we tear down the idols in our lives, we experience rest? And so King Jehoshaphat comes into leadership as well, and he followed his father's footsteps, and he was a very strong man of God. In fact, it says in Scripture in chapter 17 of Second Chronicles that he actually went out and sent out Levitical priests throughout all the city and had them teach the word, read the word, and teach the word to the people. But something happened in chapter 18 where King Jehoshaphat, this, this man of God, decides to partner with King Ahab. Now, I don't know if you guys know about King Ahab, but King Ahab was the king of Israel at the time, and he was married to a woman named Jezebel. Mm-hmm. And because of this marriage, King Ahab was known for all sorts of compromise, idolatry. And here, this man of God partners with this man of compromise, and they decide to partner because he, King Jehoshaphat marries King Ahab's daughter. And they began to go and fight in war together. And what happens is King Jehoshaphat almost loses his life. And it's after this near-death experience, he's like, what am I thinking? I can't partner with this guy who ends up dying, by the way. Ends up getting killed. And King Jehoshaphat kind of wakes up, and he returns back to the Lord. That's a little bit of the background of what happened. Okay? So when we read chapter 20, right now we start off with the enemies surrounding Judah. And it's not just one people group. We're talking about three or more coming against Judah at this hour and drawing and calling them back into a place of war. This is a place where King Jehoshaphat probably has some trauma. You know what I'm saying? Because the last time he was in war, he almost died. So what does scripture say? He says that he was afraid. Where in the past, he decided to trust in a man. Here, he begins to trust in God. How many of you guys know that sometimes God brings us to a place where we felt defeated in order for us to experience victory? Here in war, Jehoshaphat once felt defeated. He felt deceived. He felt like he made a big mistake. He almost, he almost ruined his people. He almost ruined himself. And God is calling him back into that same place of war. Interesting, huh? And the enemies start gathering around him overwhelmingly. The scripture says a great multitude is coming against you. You guys ever felt like that before? Where a great multitude was coming against you? Where on all sides of your life there was just pressure coming in. Maybe it was your family. And then work. And then finances. And then somebody at church looks at you wrong. And it's like, man, I can't get everywhere that I turn. I feel like everything's coming against me. It's probably a a smidget of what King Jehoshaphat felt as a man who didn't just represent himself, but a whole nation. He felt afraid. He was scared. And what does he do? He decides to have a joint prayer meeting. Everybody say, amen. Amen. It says in scripture that he was afraid and he set his face to seek the Lord, but not by himself, 
not alone, he decides to call a fast on behalf of all of Judah, and he had everybody gather. It says in verse 3, he proclaimed a fast, and Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Everybody say, all the cities. And here they have this epic joint prayer meeting. This is, in what, this is actually what happens. They have a joint prayer meeting. And they fasted before even heading there. I'm going to let that just sink in a little bit. <laughs> All right, let's move on. The enemy was coming at them from all sides. And what's his response? It's time to pray. And it's not just time to pray by myself. It's time to gather the people of God together from all cities and pray. And as they assembled, what was their purpose? It says to seek help from the Lord. Seek the Lord. You know, I joined prayer meeting here. I hope you guys know this is our heart. This is why we gather is to seek the help of the Lord. It's to seek his face. While we're all here in this room tonight, I don't know what kind of enemies you feel like are coming against you or what kind of enemies we have. We have a lot when it comes to this nation. We just prayed for a bunch of things heavy on the heart of God in regards to Korea. There's a lot of things going on. The suicide, the media, North Korea, all of these things coming against this nation from all sides. But what is the call of God? It's to come together and to pray. And I love this because here, King Jehoshaphat, he kicks off the prayer meeting, man of God. And he kicks off this, this prayer meeting. And, and I believe that in this prayer that he prays, there are hidden keys to how we should pray and how we should approach God when it comes to intercession. So let's break it down. We're going to be looking at verses um, starting from 6. So he stands in front of the assembly. He stands in front of all the people, King Jehoshaphat. And the first thing he says is, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. The first thing that we have to take note is that he doesn't go straight into God. Look at all the enemies coming at us. He goes straight into exalting the name of God. He worships God and declares that God is the God of our fathers. Are you not the God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms. He puts God in his rightful place as king of kings, as Lord of lords. He acknowledges God. That's the very first thing that King Jehoshaphat prays. This is key. This is key. This is imperative. So many times when we go to a place where we felt defeated before. So many times when we go to a place where we feel hopeless, instead of starting with acknowledging who God is, we start from this place of worry and anxiety and hopelessness. We're in the wrong order. We got to start with acknowledging who he is. He exalts God. Then what does he do? Look at verse 7. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? What does he do? He recalls the work of God. I preached a message at my church a while back called Remember When. 
And this Remember When was a message based off Deuteronomy. And it was a message talking how, about how right before the Israelites entered into the promised land, they had this whole session where they began to recall all of the works of God for the Israelites. The deliverance of the Israelites from the, Egypt, from the Egyptians, the plagues to the, to the opening of the Red Sea, recounting again and again, remembering that all God has done. This is so key. The first is to acknowledge who God is, but the second is to remember what he's done for us. He's not just the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the king of kings who turned us and our lives completely around for his kingdom. He's the Lord of lords who saved us and delivered us from the perils of destruction. He's the, he's the God of creation who, who set us free from addiction. We have to recall the deeds of the Lord. We have to remember not only what he's done for us, but what he's done for the generations before us. You know, when we read these accounts in the Old Testament, we can't be separated from it. Because, because of the spirit of adoption, you and I are now in the same lineage as Abraham. Meaning everything that we read in accordance to the Israelites is our lineage. Meaning when we read it, we say that's our family, that's our history. So when you read these accounts, you're just not like, oh, that's good for them, the Israelites. No, God is talking about your history. He's talking about your lineage that we've been grafted into because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So when we see that, when we read that, we can recall not only the things that God has done for us personally, but over and over for the generations that have gone before us. We have to remember to recall his good works. We have to connect the fact that he is God Almighty who cares for us. Not only who cares for us, but who's already done so much for each and every single one of us. He recalls the work. He has this remember when moment. And then verse 8 to 9, and they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sore judgment or pestilence or famine we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. First thing he does is he exalts God. He acknowledges God. Second, he recalls the work of God. And the third thing he does is declare in faith the deliverance of God. For your name is in this house. Man, I love that line. For your name is in this house, and we cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Do you guys know that whatever you're facing or whatever you will face, God is the God that delivers us from all things. Is that your declaration? Is that your confession? When we talk about the things of North Korea, or we talk about the things in this nation or your personal life, are we standing on the faith that God is the God that delivers us? Are we proclaiming where we stand, God, your name is in this house. I carry your name wherever I go. That's got to be our confession. That's got to be our call. He declares in faith the deliverance, no matter what we face, no matter what we're going through, God, we believe that you will hear our cry and you will save us. So he sets it up. He acknowledges God. He recalls the work of God. And then he declares in faith, no matter what happens, they will be delivered. And now, and only now, he begins to lay down a specific request. Look at verses 10. And now behold, 
the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel, Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We'll stop there. He lays down his request. We start off our prayers going straight there. We start from verse 10 to 12. But when it's time for intercession, when we gather like this, you know, there's power in the gathering, first of all. King Jehoshaphat recognized that. He didn't go by himself to the corner and prayed on behalf of all of Judah. He gathered the people. He assembled everybody. And it says later in verse 14, not just the men, the men, the women, and the children. Everybody's going to be a part of this prayer meeting. And they all gather together and he acknowledges God. He recalls the work of the Lord. He declares deliverance, the promise of deliverance. And then he lays down the intercession. Then and only then he lays down the intercession. By the time they get to this place in the prayer, did you know that they're already walking in victory? By the time they get to this place in prayer, they're standing on hope. You see, they've, they've done layers of foundations. And now they're not standing on their circumstance. They're not standing on what they see. They're standing on who God is. They're standing on what he's done. They're standing on the promise that he's the God that delivers them and hears their prayers. And now they're going to lay the intercession. That's powerful. And he ends with this. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Man, that's good. How many of you guys ever felt that? I don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. Man, so many times I feel that. I don't know what to do. But you know what we need to do more of? Is say that phrase and end with, but I put my eyes on you. Too many of us, we end there. We don't know what to do. Amen. (laughs) We can't end like that. This is a very strategic prayer. I really believe led by the spirit. This is a prophetic prayer and 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 an order of prayer that God is revealing to his people. Even now it ends with, we don't know what to do, but God, our eyes are on you. What King Jehoshaphat does is he now puts the ball in God's court. God, I laid it all out, but now I'm going to position this whole group of people to receive what you got. Now we're going to see with what you're doing, how you're moving. He positions them to receive. You know what I love about King Jehoshaphat's prayer is he does we, we, we. Sometimes I hear people do intercessory prayer and they say, I. You can't be saying I, y'all. When we pray like this together, we're coming into agreement. When someone stands up with a mic and pray, even when you pray in your seat, you got to pray we. God, we declare freedom over North Korea. Lord, we declare the breaking off of suicide in South Korea. You got to say we, because when we come together like this, it's not an I time. It's a we time. There's power in agreement. And here King Jehoshaphat, he knows how to take his place in prayer. And he doesn't just speak on behalf of himself. He speaks on behalf of his people. We, and he ends with this. He sets everybody up. We fix our eyes on you. And what do they do? When we fix our eyes on him, now it's like, God, we position ourselves to see you. 
we position ourselves to see what you're doing. We position ourselves to hear what you're saying and how you're moving. You know, I've, I've shepherded a lot of people as a pastor who've gone through some really terrible and tough times. Who felt overwhelmed and pressed on all sides. Who felt defeated and hopeless and weary. And the one thing that I try to teach each and every single person is what is God saying in your situation? I try to get them to a place where when they walk out, they're trying to fix their eyes back on God because it's there where the breakthrough happens. It's there where revelation comes. Oh God, this is what you're doing. Too often we wait for our circumstances to change in order to acknowledge God in our situation. That's the opposite. We got to acknowledge him first and then our situation will manifest that acknowledgement. So he fixes his eyes and he says, we all together, we fix our eyes on you. He readies them and he ends the prayer just like that. God, your turn. I lay down. We lay it all down. Your turn. Your turn. Our relationship with God needs to be a conversation. And we have to allow room for God to speak into our situation. So the ball is in God's court. And what happens? Look with me. Verse 14. The spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. I don't know if that's how you say his name, but that's how I'm going to say his name. The son of all those people. (laughs) A Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. See, they lay down their petitions. They do all these steps. They acknowledge God. They declare all these done. They, they declare the promise that he's a deliverer. They lay down his request, their requests. And then all of a sudden, the spirit of the Lord comes upon this man of God. And he begins to speak. And what's God's response? Listen. All Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you. Do not be afraid. And do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. That's powerful. That is powerful. And he says this, tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the accent, ascent of Ziz. It's kind of like right here, prophetically, they get a word of knowledge, which direction the enemy is going to come from. You got to understand when we engage God in our circumstances, we get a supernatural edge over the enemy. You know, they're not going by natural means anymore. God specifically tells them, watch out. They're going to come from this place. That's a key word right there in order to ready them. God's the God that does that on our behalf in order to ensure our victories. He gives us pieces of wisdom and knowledge on how to move, when to move, what to do. And in this specific situation, He says, you will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. (sighs) I like that word. You will not need to fight in this battle. But what do they do? He says, stand firm and hold your position. Everybody say, stand firm. firm. And hold your position. position. I believe this is a word of God for each and every single one of us today. As intercessors, as people who are believing God for great breakthrough, for his promises, 
As a people of God who believe we don't need to be afraid, we don't need to be discouraged, we don't need to be stressed out, we don't need to be in fear. We got to learn not only how to hear that word, but we got to learn how to stand firm in that position. He's saying, listen, I'm going to deliver you, but this is what you need to do. You need to stand firm and hold your position. Everybody say, hold your position. position. And this word position in the Greek is not, in the Hebrew, is not a word for a physical place. It's talking about the mentality of your mind. We're not talking about hold your physical position here. We're talking about hold the position in terms of what you believe. Meaning don't stray. Don't go to the left or to the right. When you say, I'm not afraid anymore, stay there. Stand firm with that. When we declare, God, you're the God that delivers us, stay there. Hold firm. Stay in that place of position. Because let me tell you, there's going to be so many attacks that try to get us to go to the left and to the right, isn't there? Some our own voice. Some from the voice of people who love us, our family. From our friends, our coworkers, people that don't know us are constantly trying to sway us back and forth from that place of fearlessness. But the word of God for us is to stand firm. Hold your position. There are things that God has already spoken to each and every single one of you. Your personal walk with him, from your calling to Korea, to your calling to your churches, calling to the workplace that you're at right now, And things happen all the time to try to swerve us from that calling. From that place of belief that, God, I'm exactly where I need to be. I'm unafraid. God is saying, stand firm. Hold your position. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Watch this. Tomorrow, go out against them. And the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Everybody say, worshiping the Lord. Lord. One thing that you have to understand about this passage in particular was worship wasn't just a weapon. Worship was a response. They heard the word of God and in response to the word and to the promise and to the declaration that God just gave them in response, they worshiped. It wasn't, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. So if I worship, maybe God will break through. No, God, I know you're going to break through and therefore I'm going to worship you. That's the attitude that they were coming from. God, I know that you are God of your word. So therefore I'm going to worship you. And they worshiped him. They worshiped him. That was just a response. Everybody say response. Response. This needs to be our response. We get prophetic words. We hear great messages and we think, wow, I'm pumped up. And we wait till we see it manifest. And when it does happen, then we worship God. Praise Hallelujah. No, 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 no. We got to receive the word and then worship right away. As a response to the word, God, I I believe what what you just said. I believe your word. And so I'm going to worship you. That's the power of worship. That's the power of worship. Worship, The power of worship comes from faith. When we worship God in response to his words, it's an act of faith. 
It's powerful. All together they worship. Can you imagine? It says that they fell down. You guys want to hear some scripture about the glory of God causing people to fall down? Well, here's one. They just all fell down under the power of God and just worshiped him. Hearing those words, whoo, boom. Remember, enemy, at this very moment, the enemy is coming against them. At this very moment, they're getting their weapons ready. At this very moment, they're probably walking and journeying and riding their horses or whatever they did back in the day towards this area in order to attack and destroy Judah. But what, what are they doing? Worshiping. Worshiping. In the midst of everything that the enemy is doing and, and proceeding forward, their response is, we're going to worship God. Now watch this, because this is really important. This is the the key point of my message tonight. They didn't just stay at the joint prayer meeting. Stay with me here. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, doesn't end here. It doesn't end here. It begins here. Remember, it says in verse 17, tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Wouldn't it be easy if we just had to worship in our own houses or worship together here and that'll be the end of it? God, we're going to worship at JPM and, and then you're going you're gonna to scatter the enemies and it's going to be awesome. And that's it. That's all we need to do. No, God says tomorrow, go out. Go out to the enemy lines. Go out where their army is going to be. Go out and stand your ground. What? They didn't prepare their, you know, their warfare training. I don't know what this was all about. <laughs> this is my warfare training. <laughs> I, I, Lord, help me. Um, <laughs> but he said, tomorrow, go out. And look what King Jehoshaphat does. In response, they rose early in the morning, verse 20. Early in the morning. This, this to me is the sound of expectation. They rose early in the morning and they went out to the wilderness. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord, your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. Man, this is a man that's very different than a couple of chapters before when he was partnering with the man of compromise, King Ahab. This is a man that has learned to fully trust in God. And now he's exhorting his people and what he does is 21. And then he had taken counsel with the people and he appointed those who are going to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army. Everybody say before. before these singers and musicians, they were appointed and all of these singers and musicians were the priests of God. Now, what you guys need to understand is in the new Testament, it tells us that we are now the priests of God. Meaning it is our calling, it is our mandate to now be the worshipers of the Lord. And not only are we the worshipers of God, but we are the appointed worshipers of God. This is what God placed on my heart. He said every place that he's assigned you to, from your family, to your workplace, to the city that you live in, to the little neighborhood that your apartment's at, all of those little locations is appointed by God for you to release worship. Everywhere that you are, you are called to release worship wherever you go. This is your appointed assignment. Not only to release worship, but scripture says to wear holy attire. We're to walk in purity and in righteousness. 
to understand the attire, see the attire separated these priests from other men. It signified that I know who I am. I'm a priest of God. I'm called to worship him. We've got to wear that attire, that garment of praise, that garment of righteousness, one that's been set apart. And we can't just stay at JPM and praise God. No, we got to go to the front lines where God is calling us to, right in the face of the enemy, and release worship. It says they went before the army. Before the army. It wasn't behind the army. It wasn't like 10 miles after the army. It was before the army. This is, this is an army tactic that makes no sense. Because if the enemy was successful, the musicians would be the first ones to die. Here in this case, the priests were called to be the forerunner of this fight. But it's a fight that God said, I'm going to fight, not you. He says, all you need to do is to stand firm, hold your position, and watch me do it. So he has them go, and all of the musicians go ahead. And what do they do? They began to worship. And listen to the worship that they sing. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Woo! To me, that sounds like a very like light song. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. It doesn't sound like an army chant, you know what I mean? I'm like, out of all the songs, shouldn't it be like, tear down the walls, you know? Like, that's the imagery that I had. It's this very, like, celebratory song. Give thanks to the Lord. It's this proclamation. It's done. Even as the enemy is walking towards them, it's like, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. His love endures forever. It is such a statement of faith. Even before they see a single enemy go down, they're singing this song with utmost conviction. God is good. And his love endures forever. This is powerful. These particular lyrics is so powerful. Why? Because it starts with give thanks. How many of us naturally want to give thanks when we see the enemy walking towards us? You see a mountain of work and you feel anxiety coming at you with all forces. Give thanks to the Lord. Our natural reaction is like totally the opposite. Again, praise needs to be in response to faith. And when they begin to sing in praise, come on, watch how gangster worship is. Verse 22. The Lord set an ambush against the men. Okay, let me read that again. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men. Woo, everybody say worship is powerful. Worship is powerful. When we worship God in our assigned places, when we begin to release worship before we see the victory happen as a sign and a response to faith, God then moves and he moves powerfully and ambush. This ambush was so crazy that they got so confused. They started killing each other. What? Like they did, the Israelites didn't fight. The, the people of Judah didn't fight at all. They just watched their enemies fight each other and slaughter each other and die. That's like, that's like some awesome warfare to me. All you do is sing. Give thanks to the Lord. (laughs) I mean, that's all they did. They sang. 
That's what it sounds like. They, that's all they did. But let me tell you, all that they did, being singing and worshiping, is so powerful. It's so powerful. You know how powerful it is? I'll tell you how powerful it is. It's so powerful that the enemy tries every single moment of your day to steal your worship. The moment you wake up to the moment you're on your way to work, are we worshiping God? To the moment we see our boss who's being passive aggressive and didn't pay us on time, are we worshiping God? Then we turn and see our coworker who's been talking and gossiping about us, are we worshiping God? To going back to the subway to go to prayer meeting and being smushed by all these people and, and, and seeing a drunken man breathing all over you, are you worshiping God? Let me tell you, every place you step your foot in this city, in your life, is designed for you to release the worship of God. Every place. When you walk into the office, worship God. When you see your boss and shake his or her hand, worship God. May our hearts be just pounding with worship, giving thanks to him because he is good and his love endures forever. When we do that, we're releasing power, 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 ambush, confusion over the enemy, power, power, enemy slaughtering each other, power, power. People confused why you're so happy when you know that, that when they know that so much work has been given to you, power, it confuses the enemy. Why is that person worshiping? Even in the flesh, it's going to, ref- it's going to confuse your coworkers. Even some of you walked into JPM today and looked at everybody worshiping and you're confused. What are they so happy about? It causes confusion to anxiety. It causes confusion to fear. It causes confusion to addiction when we worship God and we place him above all things. We can't afford to let the enemy steal our worship because it is one of the most powerful weapons that we've been given. And I'm not talking about using worship as like some tactic or strategy. I'm talking about worship in response to faith. This is why they worship. They didn't worship because they were told to worship. Now worship. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Worship louder for his love endures forever. No, it was a response. God, we heard the word that you said. You said, fear not. Don't be dismayed. This battle is not yours. It's mine. And from hearing those words, it was then they worship God. They believed. And so they worshiped. Everybody say, I believe. believe. And so I worship. I believe. And so I worship. This is the position of victory. When we stand and we stand firm Hold this position of victory. This is when God does supernatural things. Supernatural. When we think about North Korea, it's supernatural what we're praying for. You guys understand that, right? You talk to anybody that works with NK, with organizations, and they can tell you reason upon reason upon reason why reunification is not going to happen. Or why it's not a good idea. And sometimes I hear what Christians say and do. And it's like that's so simplistic. And that's so naive to think that way. No, it's just supernatural. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, when you look at it close up. When you, when you research cancer. Then you don't think, oh, this can be healed. 
But it's only a supernatural faith in believing in a supernatural God that we can believe for such things like reunification. We have to stand firm. We got to hold our position on the things that God has spoken to us, especially here at joint prayer meeting. In regards to all the words that have been released here from this pulpit about Korea, about North Korea, it's up to you and I not only to believe in it, but to worship as response. When we do that, we're releasing such a powerful faith. So let me end with this. Are you constantly worshiping? Are you believing and meditating on the words of God throughout your day? And in response, you can't just help. You can't help but to worship him. God, you're so good. No matter what circumstances you're facing, no matter how overwhelmed you feel, and even if you're in the place of where you once feel defeated, God is saying, worship me. Worship me. Even if he takes you back to a battle where you felt like you lost, worship him. Because he's saying, you are victorious. I want you guys to close your eyes.